Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico from the Made in China podcast, Source Fine Asia, and the Source Fine Asia vlog. If you haven't seen our vlog, you got to check it out. Our recent, most recent episode was me at the Cross Border Summit. Um, it's the third annual event that I've been to for the Cross Border Summit. It's also the third annual event since the Cross Border Summit's consumption. And, uh, you know, Michael Michelini from Global from Asia puts it together. And it was great. It was. Um, it was fun. The first year I was like a newbie. I'd just been running the sourcing company for like eight months. And then the second year I got to be on a panel. And the third year I was on a panel again. And I've got a video of the full manufacturing panel. It was myself, Andy Church, and Damon Barnhurst. Um, the host is Michael Eagleton. I've had, obviously, I've had Michelini on the podcast before. And I've also had Andy Church on the podcast, Do Contracts Matter in China? So, if you enjoyed those episodes, you're probably going to like the manufacturing panel that we did. So yeah, it uh, leads me to this episode. This episode, I had a chance back at it again with the interviews. I had a chance to interview uh, Mazin. He's the owner and operator of Mikasa, which is a Mexican-Asian fusion restaurant. Everything is sort of... Mex everything is sort of fusion-ish in China because uh, a lot of times you have to adapt to the Chinese palate, which he actually talked about in the episode. So Mikasa is my favorite restaurant in the city. It's uh, located at Canton Place, which is in Tianhe, Guangzhou, which is sort of downtown area. Like I live, uh, like I'm, a, I live a five-minute walk away from the restaurant. My office is a ten-minute. Uh, the uh, Uber away from the restaurant and stuff. So like everything's within walking distance for me. And Mikasa is just one of those places. Like I love going there. Uh, the food's great. The service is great, which is always a big deal in China. Drinks are really good, like the cocktails and whatever are really good. And they have fresh juices if you want that. They have nice teas as well, like that. They have a wide selection of teas. And uh, I've been going there for like two years. You know, anybody that knows the service industry, there's a very high turnover when it comes to staff and. I've literally been going there for two years and there's certain people, there's like two or three people that have been working there for two to three years and they love it and they're constantly learning, they're constantly improving. But I just wanted to talk to Mazin about what it's like to start a restaurant in China. You know, I know that that's a, it's a very difficult process. It's a difficult process when you're starting any sort of business in China, so let, let alone the food industry. And traditionally, uh, lots of foreigners, when they started these kind of businesses, they started them off with a Chinese business partner, and he he did it by himself. So this episode is a little bit disjointed as well, just because I recorded the first episode, and then he had to leave, and then we ended up continuing the second part like a week later. So there's going to be a, a weird point in the episode where the audio is going to transition into the second part of the episode. But anyways, it should be fine. I think it was a great interview. Anyways, without further ado, enjoy the podcast. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. So I know you as uh, as MD, owner of uh, Boca. Formerly Boca, now Mikasa. Yeah. But uh, what is your name? My what name is, is Mazen. Mazen Dabusi. I'm originally from Syria. Cool. Came to China 12 years ago, which is, uh, came for Canton Fair, actually. Mm. I saw opportunity. 
So, especially with the FMB, because the market was like really dry for food. Like, you know, if you want to go to eat, just we have no options. Yeah. So we started, we were testing the market. We started with a catering business. So we have like small kitchen and then we start just doing sandwiches and some rice dishes. So catering for actual events or like just uh, Some events, mostly big companies. Like our clients was PNG, like, you know, consulates. Yeah. Mostly expats. What was the business called at that time? Lupari. After that, we opened in uh, Tian Hadong. What, what year was that, by the way? Sorry? What year was that? That was 2006, 2000, beginning of 2007. So, when you first got here, yeah. your initial business. Yeah. Cool. In 2007, we signed the, the Building 75, which is owned by Taiko Hue, which is they were start building the mall. And they got the building next to it. So we signed with them. We had a location in that area. By the way, just so people know, Taiko Hue is like one of the most expensive shopping malls. In, yeah, so in we're like the same management, but that was the tasting part yeah. for them in Guangzhou. So we signed with them. We had the Boca Cafe and restaurant back in the days was still less operations. We were focusing on all-day breakfast, which is something that doesn't exist back in the days in, in Guangzhou. We used to sell, uh, our main targets was like foreigners, Ascot residents, because they were like on top. And we were the caterers to the room service as well. Like we were the, we were the room service. Mm -hmm. So our menus in the, all the rooms, the clients can call, then we deliver up. And did some couple of deals with some hotels around for breakfast promotions during the fairs. Uh, but it was mostly coffee shop in a European style, like which is like, you know, you come in, you have a coffee, freshly brewed, and then you have breakfast, finger food, whatever you want. And uh, 2010, the rent there was going up. Taikokwe, the mall opened. Yeah. And it was like, getting the business, like they, there is no more uh, walking traffic. So it just was like business going down, rent going up. Yeah. We were signed here already like for six months. We started the business here. I mean, this area was still unknown. By 2010, still like the Canton place, it's been here and have but people... you had an idea of what they were setting up, what they were laying the groundwork for. Yeah, yeah, it's been around for like since 2008. But no people coming here as destination yet. Was was Liedechun built at that stage? Was built, but all the roads closed, open, closed, open, like constructions here or something else here. But still nobody known this area because there was no FMB venues. Yeah. Friend of ours opened their Indian restaurant, 2008. It wasn't easy to to get by this area. Yeah. In 2010, to explain to the taxi driver, this area was nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely true. My my former business partner used to live here around that time, 2008. And I think one of the only food options we had was the the local workers' kitchen. So they had set up the you know the, the, the little shanty town. The yeah, stall, you make your own food, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. for the construction. Yeah, the construction stuff? guys. We would go eat there because <laughs> it was the only place we could walk to. What are you, what are you eating? Like just rice and yeah, beef just and Chinese ten RMB dishes. Rice and the. Steamed vegetables with some oil on top. Right. Listen, when, when I first came to China, that's all I was eating every day. Like, I mean, it got me through, got me through my early days in China. We were discussing this earlier. Like, you know, for us foreigners, it's just uh, not easy to eat Chinese food every day. Yeah. Like, I love Chinese food, but I can't have it like two, three times a week. Yeah. I can't have it like three meals a day or six, seven days a week. 
I'm, I'm so I'm so excited to ask you this because this is a theory I've been putting out there. I've been telling people this this theory, and I want to see in being in the food and beverage industry if there's any truth to it. So initially, when I came here, uh, it was very inexpensive to eat around the time we got to Guangzhou. I feel 2006, 2008, at least compared to now. Hundred renminbi a person, you would be like eating like a king. Yeah. yeah, and I always felt like the food was was quite good at that time. I've noticed as time has gone on, obviously everything in Guangzhou and China is becoming more expensive across the board. And I think my opinion was a lot of restaurants had to deal with this, rising labor costs, rising rent costs, all these different things going up in price, but they couldn't reflect that on, on their menus, not to the, to the significance that they were receiving because they would price their customers out basically. My theory was at that time, that's when the the bad ingredients started circulating more often into the uh, restaurants in Guangzhou, for example, the gutter oil. Digoyo? Digoyo, you know, the... the <laughs> that, that's different. That That's something you don't see it like inside like Guangzhou, for example. You see it like in a different areas, very local areas, which is they will buy like oil by KG or... or, or I've... I've seen people go into Jujan Newtown, open up a manhole, and scoop out the sewage right in front of my eyes. Yeah. I've seen that. Yeah, maybe they're taking it, but I don't know. <laughs> because like, if you are, you are in the F&B business, right? So yeah. you know what's your raw materials. If one person gets sick, nobody will come back anyway. Yeah. Right. So you have to be really, really careful in our line of business. Like Even like, you know, we, for example, the vegetables, we buy it. We wash it. Then we use vinegar to wash it again. And then like... You have to be like really special, which is the government asks as well. Like they check every up, like every couple of weeks, you have somebody come and check. So it's not about. But you also hold your standards to a much higher level than most Chinese restaurants. My standards think. is just really high. This is what a problem in the yeah. first place. Right. Like today we buy like, for example, tenderloin. We spend like fifty dollars at AKG mm. for one kilogram because it's imported. Mm-hmm. And then after you rebrand your menus, the suppliers will come and it's like, okay, the price is up twenty percent. You can't say it's sold out and you can't reprint your menus because right. you lose more money. Yeah. Right. So we're just like, you know, we'll have to deal with it. So this is our main problem because like last year, end of the year, the exchange rate changed big time. The RMB was getting weaker to, towards the US dollars. So if all the importers, after Chinese New Year, they just issued a new list. Wine, 20% up. Beef, 30% up. Because for us as a Western restaurant, 80% of our ingredients is imported. Between like, you know, spices or uh, the dried items or cream, cheese, wine, meat, all these items are imported. This is the only way to maintain a certain level of quality. We should just say for also for the people listening that Mikasa has fantastic food. Fantastic food, fantastic drinks. We're going to have video and like we're smoking shisha. I love this place. It's my favorite spot in the city. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. You, you know, so you good. see me like four or five times a week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, 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 if you guys had like a dormitory, I'd be sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so the Guangzhou have been changing the last, especially actually it started. The big changes started after 2010, 2011. After the Asian Games? Yeah, that's when the prices really start to change. That's when like 100 RMB like just wasn't enough. Before, back in the days, you go even out, 100, 200 RMB is enough. Yeah. There's, um, I was talking with somebody, a, a long-time Guangzhou resident the other day, and there was a, a sushi place 
I think it was called Dayu. Do you know this? Yeah. You used, you used to be able to go spend 150 RMB and it was all you could eat, all you could Yeah, they had that like stuff. It's like, just yeah, keep going. Yeah, as it was in. delicious food. It was fantastic. But then eventually they, they couldn't afford to do that. They would uh, They still have under. some locations, I believe. They do. Different. It's different. Yeah. It's different. They systemized everything. The food, smaller portions. They never get your order right. They're always super slow to, to deliver. You only get two hours. So we'll go back to the original idea, which is like prices. Right. Rent and uh, are you talking about the place where they, they, they make the food in front of you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I, that place I went there a couple times, like on my birthday mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah, I liked it, but yeah, like you it's, said, the quality of the food, yeah, it's still yeah, okay, but drops. it used to be fantastic. I mean, you can get yep. an amazing meal, but there's no way they're making money we, on that. We should go sometime, like just with the experience. Like, uh, mm-hmm. basically, it's a sushi place, they make food in front of you, you pay them like 200 RB, it's all you can eat, all you can drink. Right. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go there right now. Forget about this podcast. There's a lot of places actually like this, like the Brazilian barbecue, for example. You go walk in, it's like, I don't know, what is it now? Back in the days, it was AJ R&B. Yeah. You walk in, they have like a huge buffet, and then you choose all you can eat meat, basically. For us, we go straight for the meat, we just, like follow because the, the, the buffet is just nothing yeah. for us. It's like we can't eat anything from the buffet items. So, but, but the, on the other hand, for locals, it was like the buffet first, and then the meat is just it's cherry on top. Secondary <laughs> thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I I do your way. Like I always go for the meat, like meat and veggies. That's it. Enough. <laughs> so, what was uh, you, you decided to get into the restaurant industry here? Did you you had a background in food? Back home, we have a couple of restaurants. Yeah. And uh, still exist, but we rented out through the problems and that. So, uh, I just it's a passion for me. It started as a passion which is I start like love cooking, you know, and start experiencing different ingredients with like different flavors and imagining the flavor and trying to get something new. That's actually how we get our menus done usually. Yeah. Like I have a recipe, which is I try it, it's like, mm, very nice. We change something on it and then we make it here, like, you know, just we make it in a restaurant. Yeah. And when uh, when you started Boca, like how many people were working here? Like how did you start off the business? And like how? Do, why did you choose an Italian style restaurant? Our first location was a coffee shop, which is a, it's a cafe with a small kitchen, mostly focusing on bakery items and cakes and crepes. Just the one in Taiku, right? Yeah. Okay. And like you know the all day breakfast. We signed here. When we get here, we they, we were looking for something like because it's a very nice area. Yeah. So we're looking for something more. Fine dining, basically. That was the start, actually. We're considering French, but then Italian was just easier to, to maintain for raw materials. Because Italian food is just famous in here, and uh, the raw materials just exist. For a French restaurant, the raw materials is not easy to find the, the quality ones. Yeah. Like foie gras and this kind of details need, like, really quality ones, and, like, snails and uh, other details. So we opened here was like we were focusing on fusion at the beginning, just international food or fusion food, but that's something doesn't work in, in China in general, <laughs> because the first question they will ask you, what are you? Yeah. If you tell them international, they will give you, you know, it's like what is that? Yeah. <laughs> if you say fusion, they still, you know, you'll get like even like weirder questions basically. <laughs> Are you talking about the, the government or the customers? No, the customers in general. Customers, yeah. They will just stop they, by. They like, want it to be black and white. Like They want just like 
what are you? Yeah, yeah. And then it sounds like, okay, we were Italians. So just when shifted the menu, she's like, pure Italian, like food. It's like, oh, you don't have pizza. You're not Italian. I was like, you know, it's Italian cuisine in general. It's, yeah. it's not only pizza. Exactly. They have like the pasta, the lasagna, the this, this. this. It just was a, was a good adventure over the years. But last year I was just like, enough is enough. Let's just get the cuisine, which is Guangzhou really needed. Which is actually needed, I needed a challenge myself. With a new concept, new cuisine, and uh, new clients, basically. We were talking before about working with Chinese factories for production manufacturing and how you need to cater to the way that they think and cater to the way that they do business. Some people try to stick their horns in the ground and say, you know, I'm is, staying, this, this is how that. I do it, this is how we do it. But like you're saying, it's the same with, with food and beverage. Yeah? You kind of have to mold your way. Either so. you got to just like, you know, be out of business or you need to yeah. adjust. <laughs> Like, right. you know, because if you want to survive, bills never stop coming. Right. And you're talking about sort of educating the uh, the the audience, right? Like for for, you... for Mexican food, we okay. have to do that yeah. because they, it's still a new concept. It's a new cuisine. It's just like people still is like, what is tacos? Yeah. It's like, and as was we noticed, like for example, the first menu we launched for a Mexican restaurant, we had like the corn tacos only. Now we're adding the option for flour or corn taco. Mm -hmm. The locals don't like the corn tacos, mm. the corn tortillas. Maybe it's too heavy for them or too dry. So the flour tortilla now, people like it more and more. But for example, the nachos, which is crispy, they love it. It's become like number one sales, foreigners or locals. Yeah. I just you... had three bins of them, they're pretty good. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's great. <laughs> Do you feel like from when you started till now, like the, the Chinese people that come to eat at your restaurants are more the educated about the... percentage is really actually getting higher and higher. higher. Yeah. And they're getting easier with orders. Yeah. Easier they read online on like reviews, what people ordered. Yeah. Because you know, here like in China, on between WeChat and Weibo and uh, all this social media, they have all the information they need. Yeah. So it's like one person's like, like a dish, they will post about it. And then the people start like chain reaction basically. So, you, so sometimes somebody posts something and then other people just come and order the same thing? Yes. Do they actually show you like, oh, I want this thing that I saw and wait? They'll be like, they'll say the Chinese name exactly yeah. as it says in the menu. Oh, wow. That's I've, interesting. I've been living in Chiang Mai recently for the past half year, and I see that all the time, especially in the popular new area of, of, of Chiang Mai. The restaurants that have a strong presence on Weibo and WeChat dominate in this area. Yeah. Just constant Chinese tourists coming in and you can tell they want to make the same post that that famous blogger or whatever <laughs> that did. That dish which is a flame. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. So I, I spreads beyond Guangzhou and China. So this is actually the, the, the best way of advertising here. Yeah. Which is, it's a ch cheap. It doesn't cost any money actually. Yeah. Because you don't even know how to start it. You just start by itself and just go around. Do you ever think about trying to get Chinese influencers to come and like eat at your restaurant? And you know? We always actually try because we live in China at the end of the day. Yeah. Whatever you try to, like, you know, so I want to make like 100% Mexican food. No, I don't want to make 100% Mexican food. I want to make a food which is fit in the market. Otherwise, because, you know, Otherwise let's, let's put it this way, like, you know, some items of my own food I don't like. Mm -hmm. and, but still, people like. Mm -hmm. So you have always to be flexible in that part, which is just to have something which is going to be like alternated a little bit to, to fit both flavors, which is you're not really outside. 
like you don't even leave uh, the main com ingredients. Like you're still using the main ingredients, but you're adjusting the taste a little bit. Yeah. Which is like, for example, uh, some items require a lot of lemon zest, for example. Locals don't like lemon. So you need to reduce it a little bit. Otherwise, this item is X. But we agree on one thing for, for locals. The items they don't like, they all agree on it. Yeah. <laughs> like anything with like too much lemon or too much vinegar or strong flavor or too sweet. These items, they just, they love middle taste, like mild. Like it's like spicy, no problem. Yeah. But any other flavors, if too much spices or too much uh, smells, yeah. they don't like. Do you have a network of other restaurant owners in Guangzhou that you communicate these things with? These details, no, but we always help each other whatsoever we can with the supplier, with the ingredients, with something like anybody like, you know, will ask for, for some help. We always like, you know, we have like some groups between all of them. Yes. And I've also noticed like this is something that is common in China. Like if we go to the, uh, the markets and I want to buy something and then this store doesn't have it, they'll go to another store and buy it and bring it over. So then I noticed here the restaurants around you also use your, your shisha. So it's like you're kind of like adopting some of the same the distribution. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, like you know it's like we can't force anybody to sit here or there or there. It's like yeah. you know it's the, the beauty of this location is like you have literally more than ten cuisines in one small food court. Yep. And it's the only outdoor area in Guangzhou which is family oriented. Uh, let's say no pollution somehow. No buses, no cars, honking, yeah. like, you know, it's very safe. Security yeah. guards on every, it's safe for families and kids. And kids can play in the circle. And then you have like, you know, the Italian, the German, the, the, the Japanese, the Chinese, Mexican, Spanish, like all, like all kind of restaurants in one area, which is uh, the management here really chose the best names in every field. Like, you know, because they want just the, the best to stay. If you're not good you, anyway, you will live, live by yourself. You can't like really compete. You're not get customers. One thing, uh, you changed over to, to Mikasa, which is Mexican, before it was Boca Italian. I remember because I was here and I was already a regular. I was here when you guys were actually doing the construction. But I feel like it's a very, it was a very like Chinese thing where development happens so quickly here with property and things like that. You guys changed the restaurant overnight, you know? What was that like, just organizing the, the, the construction and just completely changing the restaurant in such a short space of time? Uh, that was a, like actually a nightmare. I would never <laughs> do it again. It was like literally like one week of no sleep, yeah. just trying to organize details. And some people were lucky with which they were good. Some other people, it was just... They were not in their field, let's put it this way. You mean the, the contractors that you're working with? Yeah. Yeah. So we were just doing it, just organized everything ahead of time. So just to run, we didn't have to shut down a lot. Like it was like one, two days for training and just, you know, relaxing the staff before the opening. Because in our line of business, if you shut down for more than like for a long time, you're still losing money from your own pocket, you know? It's like sales not coming and we're short of time because Canton Fair was, it's like around that area, that yeah. time. We opened the 12th of April. Yeah. And the fair was the 15. So I need at least three days for the staff to get like to, to know how to spell the names. We trained them like for months before that, but not 
was clients right away face to face. So that was like, you know, the, the hardest part. But otherwise, everything went smooth kind of. Like we work overnight. So even the clients didn't notice because the weather was perfect outside. Nobody want to walk inside. Yeah. Just like, you know, the umbrellas, two minutes, just change all of them, the furniture as well. Yeah. It's like even nobody noticed at the beginning. It's like something different. What is it? I was like, <laughs> I was like what do you mean? I've been working for like three days nonstop. Like, <laughs> I mean, quite honestly, I, I mean, obviously I noticed because the menu changed, the name changed, all that stuff. But like inside, it was just like, I, I thought you were just renovating. Like yeah. you, you changed the color of the inside. I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. And then I came back the next day. I was like, wait, this is a completely different menu. What, what, <laughs> what, what happened? Uh, but one thing I, I thought was really smart was you kept some of the favorite uh, the, the popular dishes from, from Boca. We already have existing clients. Like our database of clients is a huge. And I still, like we have like people who just come especially from different cities in, in Guangdong. Yeah. Like on their weekend or whatever, just like to, to have this kind of dishes. Which is, we kept the items which is we could actually say it doesn't have to be like, it could be from any cuisine. So to try to keep like the smart items, to be honest, it's just the easy ones. Hey, what's up, guys? We will return to regular scheduled program shortly, but I just wanted to let you know about a new service that we just launched. It's a design for manufacturing service. We've hired a very, very fantastic industrial designer who has experience working with uh, doing DFM for South American manufacturers as well as Chinese manufacturers. And I think our rates are pretty reasonable in comparison to what you'd get if you're working with a company based in the U.S. just because of labor costs, right? Um, yeah, so what we can now do, what SSA is now capable of doing is taking a crudely drawn item, product idea on a napkin, you drew it drunk in a bar or something like that, and then taking it into 2D, uh, giving you recommendations on the bill of materials and taking it into 3D and CAD and having that formatted specifically for manufacturers, right? So we're doing a beta launch at the moment. Um, official launch date is June 4th for the beta launch. Um, for anybody that gets in before the beta launch, there will be a special discount. Uh, so if you want more details, Go to the website and shoot me an email at rico at sourcefinasia.com, R-I-C-O at sourcefinasia.com, and just say DFM service in the subject line. Cheers. Um, I have a couple questions about managing your staff and then also what it was like to actually open up a restaurant as a foreigner in China. So I guess I'll start with the staff. Um, I've noticed that most restaurants that I go to, most bars that I go to, they change their employees every three months, every two months. It's a different, different staff. But I, since I've been coming here, like you've barely changed the staff. You seem to be able to keep your workers happy. What, what do you, what do you think you're doing that's differently from? I'm sorry. Can I add one more, one more thing on top of what he just said? Being here for as long as I have, the restaurants that I like to frequent are often foreign-run because the foreign bosses take time to teach their staff how to communicate with the foreign customer. Is that something that you also focus on with your employees? We actually focus on the smallest details. Like, sometimes we always have, like, you know, staff who doesn't speak English, for example, and our database of foreign people, which is really big percentage. So we teach them, we start with them with the essentials, like, you know, like salt, pepper, ketchup, like, you know, it's like the stuff which is a client could say 
because they're not allowed to touch the table. Like, you know, they could serve or clean it, but they not, cannot, like, really uh, take orders. So we have, like, a list. We make a list for them of, like, 100 common words which is people use. And then we do every day, like, two hours training. That's actually what's keep our staff staying, like, from leaving or going somewhere else. And we offer them the commitment some... commitment they've put into to working for you? It's not the commitment. It's just we teach them. We bring people from outside to teach them. We bring, like, for example, wine expert to give them wine knowledge uh, on smelling, on uh, how to serve the wine, how to sell the wine, how to tell the difference between wines. Or for food, we bring foreign chefs always here for training, for the kitchen staff, for the outside as well. We bring bartenders, foreign ones, teach them some new drinks, some new tricks. Uh, whatever you keep offering information, the staff wouldn't even think about leaving because you really, in the end of the day, you teach them something. They feel like they're constantly learning while working in your, in your business so they, they don't want to leave yeah. because they feel like they're developing themselves, right? Okay. But what is it like just managing uh, Chinese employees? In, uh, obviously, you had restaurants before. Yeah. You know, so what, what, is the, what are the differences you've noticed? It's probably a lot. It's a big difference. Let's put it this way. <laughs> yeah, I know because I have we have Chinese employees, so like I, I kind of I feel like with us, similar to you, you have a list of things that you're educating them on the very basic stuff and like how to communicate with the clients and like it's basically creating a, a checklist so that you're making sure that it's very simple and they can follow it very strictly, right? True. So usually, like for example, in our line of business, in different country. You start from 40%, 50% of information or knowledge, and then you take it up. Because of the rabbit changing here, between like Guangzhou or Shanghai, a lot, a lot of restaurants keep opening, five-star hotels opened like, you know, we had like 10 five-star hotels opened in like in two months, three months, in the same period of time. So the market has less people. And uh, that's mean like you're having people untrained. They've never been in F&B business. Yeah. Then you're bringing them, you're training them, you're teaching them English, and you're tra- training them how on hygiene standards or how service, like starting from A, B. Yeah. It's like, that's like 50% doesn't exist. You're actually starting from minus 20. Back in the days, we had like some issues, which is like, you know, once they get to 10%, they believe they... They are better to stay here. And because five-star hotels offer, for example, higher salaries. So now we just, you know, kind of matching the salaries with the bonus, with the schedules, like, you know, flexible. Like, we always, we treat them as family. This is, this is actually the most important part. That's, it's interesting that you bring that up because we're in a similar situation. Like, our company is very small and, you know, we're growing, but, like, we can't necessarily pay them more than some other companies. So what I try to do is I try to be flexible. If they want to take a day off or half a day, like I'm not so strict in those areas. And then also just treating them, like you said, like educating them like family. You know, um, I feel like that goes a long way, especially with the younger Chinese people, because I feel like right now there's a generation shift where a lot of the younger Chinese people, they also they don't just want to like get a job, but they want to learn. and Yes, they look for yeah. learning, actually. Yeah. Okay. 
All right, uh, we're back. Sorry about that. We had our interview got cut off a couple of days ago because it was Valentine's Day, and I had to had to run off to a date. Uh, but I'm we're back. It's a couple of days later, and I just wanted to finish off the interview with Mazin at Mikasa. All right. So the last question we talked about, like we just said, was about how you've been able to keep your employees, how Chinese people want to learn, like the younger generation. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about. Um, your the process that you went through registering the restaurant in in, in China. Uh, our company is a hundred percent foreign owned by foreigners. Yeah. So we don't have any local partners, which is make uh, sometimes like it's make uh, life harder mm. because you have to like uh, different kind of categories. You know. Yeah. Uh, our company is Hong Kong based, and then we have the branch in China. Okay. That's how we do like the original uh, system, and then you inject the capital from Hong Kong to China. But the process of setting up a business for a restaurant is a bit harder, like than any other business. Yeah, because you have to go through levels, which is first of all when you finding the location, and then submitting the layout to the government to get approval from the fire department, the hygiene department, and the environmental department. Three departments. If each one of them have like different levels, like the fire system have like three levels. Yeah. The third level won't get it till you're ready to, to to start working, and sometimes it take time because you have to take appointments, and if there is any problem, you have to fix it before you open. The fire license usually is the hardest because uh, uh, for safety actually regulations, you know, which is good, which is something like we don't really mind mm -hmm. because in the end of the day, even the hygiene, like you know, they want like the salad room to be like. Uh, uh, Closed from the other kitchen, have their own separated air condition plus the ultraviolet light, and it's really like you know, some nice details like you know, which is you don't mind it when you are in the business because you know it's in the end of the day it will make your life easier, and then it's like you know it's uh, it will keep like for some for example the salads will become fresh when the AC is always on summer or winter, so even like you know your lettuce will become like you know look better actually. Yeah. yeah. So, and after you finish these three licenses, you have to apply for your business license. So you'll wait for these three licenses, and after you have these three licenses, you can apply for your business license, which is take, it depends. Sometimes 20 days, sometimes one month. It depends how your documents are all ready or not. How long does it take to get the licenses? It's a, it's a process. It's, a, it's like... It's all related to each other's. Yeah. So you start from first level, which is when you sign the contract and you submit your layout, and the last one is when you're ready to work. Yeah. But you can't work till you get your last, for example, last uh, last fire license, which is number three, and after that you get your business license when you have all the license ready. So you, I mean, you have to be to register a restaurant. You have to be very serious about being um, here. You have to be ready. Like, you know, this is the way. Because otherwise, like, uh, it will be headache if you open, like, you know, without something missing. It will get you, like, in trouble. Yeah. And later on. And then you have, like, medical cards for all your staff, which is expired every couple of months. So you have to really check the dates, like, actually, like, you know, ba basically daily. <laughs> like, because it's, you have, like, too many staff. Yeah. And each one of them, their medical card expires differently. So they have to keep renewing that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, when we went through our process, we registered a trading company, consulting company. It's much more simple. <laughs> it's easier, but still, you need the location ready. Yeah, you need yeah, this yeah. and that. I don't know. You, 
if you open Chinese companies, that's we did me. a similar thing. Uh, we had a Hong, we have a Hong Kong company, and then okay. a Hong Kong company invested into China, so we opened up a, a branch of a Hong Kong company. Yeah, this is the easiest process, to be honest. Yeah. But uh, now, even now, you can open a Chinese company. Yeah. Even a foreign-owned, no problem. Yeah. Which is a easier process, but I'm not sure if you can apply a residency on that kind of company. I uh, I think. I'm not sure. Actually, I'm for, for like full Chinese company, I'm not sure what the regulations is. Yeah. But I uh, just checked because um, I want to open another company, so I checked like before the holiday. So I'm just waiting for the holiday to finish, which is everything stopped for like two weeks, literally, like, you know, sometimes more. Yeah. It depends which, kind, which field you're at. It's like, you know, the whole country just stopped. Which yeah, is a good thing, though, like, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, that's the reason why I've been able to come here and, like, I'm, re- I'm trying to record as much videos and podcasts because usually I'm just in the office, but there's not much to do in the office right now. Yeah, so. yeah. But no uh, for you guys, it's a, a little bit of the opposite. You got a little bit busier, right? We actually, like, you know, opened during the holiday because four years ago, I spent one holiday here, to be honest. Yeah. And I struggled personally. I couldn't find anything like to eat. Yeah. I didn't find any place to go. And then it's like, all the good ones are closed. And from that year, I decided that we need to, to offer something to the Guangzhou people. To be honest, it's like, I do it from, uh, from it's like out of a service way. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like kind of like loyalty to the clients. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not doing it like for, for, the, for us. We're doing it for them, to be honest. So it's the other way around. Yeah. Because it's well, I appreciate it because I mean, this is I don't think I haven't been to any other foreign restaurants in this time period in the holiday. I usually just come here, you know, because it's it's easier, it's close to my place, and I usually come here anyways. So uh, one of the places. Yeah, regular clients, uh, really. Uh, But like, uh, because in during the holiday, it's more pressure on us. The raw materials, the getting stuff done. Uh, yeah, how does the that staff work? Have how do you, to go how are you, back home. Yeah, how are you getting? How are you still getting deliveries? And like, like uh, some items we stock before the holiday. Uh, some other items we just get it locally. Like we go by ourselves to arrange it. Okay. Whatever market is open, we just get it done. But like our, for example, the meat. Our meat is imported, so we have to stock before the holiday. Yeah. Uh, only the vegetables, which is. Usually, which is we need to buy locally by ourselves till the suppliers come back to work. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, obviously, Mike, Mike is in here, but uh, you said that you guys were talking a lot about restaurants and history in Guangzhou. You wanted to know if you have three favorite restaurants that you, or favorite places you usually go to. To be honest, I have. Uh, I consider myself Asian by now. <laughs> so, my, my top, for like, my the top names came up to my mind, which is like, you know, one Japanese and one Thai. Yeah. Uh, back in the days, they had like, uh, it's been the market in the last 10 years. So it's been going there on a regular basis. A place called Roku Roku. Roku. It's located in Tianhe Bay. Okay. It's one of the best, cleanest Japanese restaurants I've seen in Asia. Not even, like, even my friends come from Europe. Yeah. They go straight to that place because this is, according to them, it's better even than Japan. Oh, wow. Itself. It's really good, pricey, but yeah. it's very good. Okay. Lunchtime actually is not not too expensive because they have lunch sets. Yeah. But dinner time is is expensive. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm definitely. They do their out. own wasabi like freshly made and very nice. So it's like you're not having this uh, green it's stuff, very, which is you don't know where it is. The it? one that's from the, from the tube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that wasabi from the tube. It's not even. It doesn't even have any kick to it. Like you have, I have to. It's too spicy and it has no flavor. Yeah. So it's it's just burn your brain. <laughs> So, uh, so what about 
Do you have any other restaurants from the past that you... That you... I used to like a Thai restaurant. used to locate it in Tian Hebei as well. It's called Cambridge. Mm-hmm. Shut down. That's unfortunately. So for now, we, I don't have any good Thai restaurant. I can't find, to be honest. Chinese restaurants? Chinese restaurants. Uh, back in the days, they used to have like uh, Hong Kong restaurants in Tian Hedong called Wu's. Hong Kong style. Very, Ooh, very nice. I, I think they still have... Look, they I, still, I feel they like still I just there. ate some food from Wu's. They still like, there yeah. and they expanded. They took the whole floor now and yeah. they're doing great. But the quality is not like as not before because like I used to have locations there. They were my neighbors. So I used to average like three times a week there. Yeah. And uh, back in the days was like really great value. Like, you know, now it's still good, but not as before. So what do you think is, last question, what, what, is the, what is the future for you and Mikasa? And, and... Well, to be honest, we really didn't set up like our five years plan. Yeah. Because it's like, as a Mexican restaurant now, it's still new. It's uh, only like less than one year old. Yeah. Uh, we're looking to expand in different cities. In Guangzhou itself, I guess I can't beat this location. So this is my, this is the best location in Guangzhou. Yeah. Yeah. So going to another any any other location, it won't be like you know the same. Maybe going to Panyu or Foshan or Zhongshan, like around Guangzhou, but not like in Guangzhou itself. I don't see we opening another Mexican. But maybe maybe we'll, we'll bring back the old cuisine as well, and uh, we operate from there. That's good. So thanks thanks for doing this. I know uh, you know it's, you're busy, so you have to. Have to oh no no! Thank you for your time. Like it was really amazing. Like you know just uh, to talk about it. The people will be interested. If you can help in any other way, it would be our pleasure. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of our audience. First of all, I mean, for me, I was just curious about how you set up the business because I've been coming here for such a long time. But like, I think a lot of my audience are people that come for the Canton Fair and like they want to know a little bit more about. Uh, the city and like lifestyle stuff because I, I usually talk about manufacturing so I felt like it would be a very interesting episode for me. 12 years in China yeah I, it should mean a, a lot yeah. <laughs> that's like every day I counted as like a year outside yeah yeah like the experience you got here and the people you meet and the, the business itself like you know in general like you know restaurant or any other business it's all you gain this kind of experience like you know this multinational city you meet like every day, like, you know, at least 20 nationalities. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And even inside China itself, like, you know, you meet people from the south, from the north, from different provinces. It's, it's, it's... Speak different languages, different food. Like, yeah. it's one of the th- first things I noticed when I came here was just how much variety there is. There is more than 30 cuisines yeah. in the Chinese uh, kitchen. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Whereas, like, if you're back home, you're just eating, like, in Canada, we're just eating, like, fried foods, fried Chinese, oh, sweet so and I sour. Love it, you know? I, I love it, but it's, like, that was just a very narrow vision of what Chinese yeah, food was. Chinese food outside, yeah. yeah. Like, actually, today, my brother sent me, a, like, a video. He was in Chinatown in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So he's like, look, I was like, dude, that's look like Hong Kong. Yeah. What, what do you mean? Like, yeah. you know, it's, like, all the signage, everything is, like, this is Chinatown. As he was just, like, walking around. He was probably around uh, college in Spadina. If he's, is he still there right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. my sister lives there. Oh, okay. So uh, I don't know if your sister knows about this place, but there's my old favorite restaurant was called uh, Canton Chili. I don't think they're really big on chili or in Chinese food. On Chinese food in general? I'm the one who, <laughs> who kind of pushes it. Okay, I'm so. the Asian one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you ever go, you should check out that place. 
Uh, I, I know that the, I think the owners are from Guangzhou, actually. Oh, that's good. Yeah, they're from Guangzhou, but they make a wide variety. They have everything there. Like, I used to go there and I used to order always the stereotypical uh, American-style Chinese food, but the menu had many pages and they had like frogs' legs and everything. And I was like, what is this? But then now that I've been here, I've tried everything. When I go back, I want to surprise them. You know? Now you know. You know, it's like, it's like oh, it starts with Xinyang Kuela. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Or it's like, you know, Cantonese-style Gong Chi Fa Tai. This is like Happy New Year. This is the time of the year. All right, Manzan, thank you. Ah, pleasure. So if, uh, I guess if people want to contact you, how can they get in contact with you? Uh, TripAdvisor or, uh, or Facebook. So I still manage these two by myself. Mikasa on Facebook? Yeah. Okay. Mikasa by Boca. All right, thanks. All right, if you want to reach out to us, you can contact me at podcast at sourcefinasia.com. Thanks for listening, guys. You are the one thing in my way. You are the one thing in my way. You are the one thing in my way. I did in my way, lie way too fast. But in my heart, I understand. I made my move, and it was all about you. No, I feel so far removed. You are the one thing in my way. You are the one thing in my way. You are the one thing in my way.